Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Today we are continuing our series that we started a couple weeks ago called Next. And the series Next is all about what's next for us as a church, but what's next for, for us as as individual churches as well, because you are all the church. We are the body of Christ, not just this building, but all of us individually. And so we believe that God's got a next season for you as well as for us uh, corporately as a church. And so what we've been doing is just unpacking our vision statement, every life made different. What does that mean? Um, Because that's a bold vision statement. We believe every life, we want to see every life made different, not just in our town, but in our world, that we believe when the, the body of Christ acts like the body of Christ, we can see every person globally change for the glory of God. That's our goal. It's a big goal, but God's asking us to do it. Uh, he didn't say go reach some people. He said go reach all people. So that's what we're attempting to do. We want to help you find your place as well. Because if you've got breath in your lungs, you are not too old or not too young to begin pursuing God's purposes for your life, or maybe continuing to pursue God's purposes for your life. Because there is a next for you. God's got something for you he wants you to be a part of. So with that in mind, if you missed last weekend, last weekend during our message, I announced that we are going to be, in 2020, we're going to be starting a Summit Blairsville location. So we're going to be starting a church in Blairsville uh, in 2020. Our goal is to launch in, in the spring, and we just need some things to fall into place in order to do that. But rest assured, we will have a location in Blairsville by the end of 2020 at some point. And so uh, we're working toward that, and we're believing for that. We're looking at locations. There's a lot of things I can't tell you about, not because I'm keeping it a secret, but some of it is just we're trusting God. And so we're believing God. God. And um, and in your life, God says, hey, trust me and take a step. And you take a step. And then he shows you the next step. And then he shows you. And that's how it works for us as a church as well. We're trusting God and he's showing us the next step. And so we're taking those steps. Uh, several reasons why we believe Blairsville is the right place for us to go. First is we've been praying about this. Literally, I've been praying about this for like five years. I'm not exaggerating when I say this. Uh, so we've been praying about this and we feel like this is the right time. It's the right season. Um, we've got several hundred people from Blairsville that come to church here every weekend. And we believe that, um, that this is the right time to start something in Blairsville. So church planning experts will tell you that, uh, that you, the bigger the launch, the more likely it is to be successful. So the more people you have at the beginning, the more likely it is to go well. And I will tell you, um, we are 10 months pregnant. We're going to have a big baby in Blairsville. So, uh, so I'm excited about that. It's the right time. It's the right season for us. Um, to, to be perfectly honest with you, there's a lot of need in Blairsville. Six, uh, 16% of every child in Blairsville lives below the poverty line. And we believe that it's a town that, that we can go and help in, infuse hope into. And that's what we want to do. Uh, there are lots of good churches in Blairsville, so we're not going to replace churches. What we want to do is come alongside existing churches and bless the community. They're already doing some good things, and so we're not trying to take people from other churches. We want to win the lost people in Blairsville for Jesus Christ. We want to, to, to bless the people that have no interest in church, and we want to help them grow in their faith. So that's why we're doing this. That's why we're going there. Uh, and so you can be praying with us about that, be believing with us about that, um, because Like I said, we don't have all the answers, and we're trying to figure this thing out, but we know God is asking us to do this, and so we're going to be faithful to do what God's asked us to do. Um, I I said this last week, but we as a church, I want us to to rest in this place 
as a congregation that we will continually go places that other people are leaving. And we're continually doing hard things when other people refuse to do them. And that's just who I want us to be as a church. And so uh, we are gonna, gonna rush to the sound of, a, of crisis instead of rushing away from it. And so that's who we are. Uh, last week I did hear, kind of through the grapevine, I heard a couple people say, uh, why aren't we going to this town? Or why aren't we going to that town? Or more specifically, why aren't we going to my town? And I'm glad you feel that way. Uh, and just know if you have felt like there's a need for a church like ours in the community you live in or the community you identify, we also have seen that. Um, and so just know um, we're going to get there. So uh, we're, we're coming for your town too at some point. We just can't do them all at once. So we're taking baby steps in the, in the here and now. And just know if you're the person who said that why aren't they coming to my town? When we get to your town, you had better help us with your town. Because uh, we're not coming to your town to make your commutes shorter. We're not coming to your town to make it easier for you to come to church. Uh, we're making it easier for you to invite your friends and easier for you to serve and easier for you to build the kingdom in your town. So just know if we come to your town, we're expecting something of you. So with all that said, uh, if you have more questions about that, see me, let me know, talk to some of our staff, they can help as well. Uh, but we have a, an interest meeting for Blairsville on November the 4th, that's a Monday night. We'd love for you to be here with us at seven o'clock in this room. We're gonna meet together, uh, we're gonna celebrate what God's doing, we're gonna talk to you in specifics about what we know and what we're planning on doing, what it'll look like and walk through that with you and, uh, and answer as many questions as we can. So may, mark your calendars, be here that night. Uh, bring your friends from Blairsville. If they don't have a home church, bring them, invite them because um, we want them to experience what God's gonna be doing. So. So yeah, I just wanted to update you on that and let you know. Uh, but I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the future of our church. And I've said this several times over the last couple of weeks, but I'm more excited about our church right now than I have been the entire time I've been the pastor here. And uh, that should make you happy and maybe a little nervous too. So, so I'm excited. Uh, last week, we talked about the parable of the talents, and it was a deeply personal message for me. And, uh, and I would encourage you to go back and listen to that and why it's important that we go and why it's important that we do what he's asking us to do. This week, we're going to look at a passage from Matthew chapter 5, and this is from the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking to a large group of people, his people that are con recent converts to Christianity, and he's sharing with them uh, his expectations about how the church should be, what the church should be like. And uh, one of the things he says here that's so interesting to me is this is where we're going to land today. Um, and we're going to start in verse 13. This is what he says. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste or lost its flavor or lost its savor, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. I like salt on my food. Is there anybody else who your cardiologists are mad at you because you had too much salt in your diet? Okay, I like salt on my food. Um, and, uh, you know, too much salt will ruin a dish, but I like just enough. You want a little punch, a little flavor. It's got some power to it. But man, if it doesn't have flavor, there's nothing worse than salt that has no flavor. But what we see here is Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Where I grew up, I grew up in Oklahoma City area. And in Oklahoma, uh, we use salt for two reasons. We use salt to, to flavor our food, and we use salt to make homemade ice cream because you need the rock salt, you know, to keep the ice cold and to get the, right? It's shocking that it's all related to food, isn't it? So that's all. When I moved to Pennsylvania, though, you got to keep salt on hand at all times because it might snow in June and you got to clear your sidewalks off. 
And I know right now this is depressing for some of you because you're like, oh, it's winter again. It's coming. But we got to be ready. I, I keep, I keep um, like a big bags of rock salt in the back of the car just to weigh down the back end a little bit. So, I mean, I keep salt literally all the time in my garage. I've always got it ready. Uh, but, but there are lots of uses for salt in the ancient world and lots of ways that it was applied and used in lives. And we're not going to get through all of it today. But, but I just want to give you a few examples. Did you know that in certain times and regions of the Roman Empire, Roman soldiers were actually paid in salt. They would rather have salt than money. That's why the phrase, worth their salt, came into existence, because that's what it's talking about. They're workers that have earned their wage, is what it's saying. So they actually wanted to be paid in salt. So salt was a, a, a unit of exchange for people. They would pay their bills in salt at times. They would use that as a unit of exchange. We also see uh, that it's obviously used in seasoning. We see that it was used, um, well, in a bad way to kill fields. And some of you know if you were spreading salt on your sidewalk and you actually got too much on your grass, it would kill the grass. But what we see in ancient times is that uh, maybe you committed a crime. It wasn't a legal crime. Maybe it was a social crime. Maybe you did something that was offensive to the people around you. One of the things they may do is they may come to your yard or their, your field or your garden and they would pour salt over the whole garden to destroy the plot of land. So it would be useless. And what we see here in Matthew 5.13, this is what Jesus was talking about when he says, Hey, if it's lost its flavor, then, then the only thing it's good for is to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And this is what he's talking about. It's no longer good for anything except destroying. So I want you to tuck that away. If, we, if salt loses its saltiness, it's only good to destroy. So what we see here is used for lots of different things, uh, but the primary purpose was to be used as a preservative. So what we see is that salt actually stops the advance of decay in meat. So before they had refrigerators, before they had electricity, uh, this was the primary way that they would preserve meat over a long period of time. This is why they didn't have to eat meat immediately when they killed an animal, uh, because they could preserve it. They could keep the meat fresh over an extended period. It served as a, as a preservative in the food, um, but we also see that it, it was used in grain offerings. This is kind of weird. So God instructed the Israelites to, to put salt in their grain offerings, and it was because of what salt represented. It was valuable, it was a preservative, it caused, caused things to last, and it was pure. And so what, what God is saying to us is when we bring our gifts to God, he wants it to be something that will last, he wants it to be something that's pure, he wants it to be something that's preserved. And, and so that's why he instructed his people to infuse their, infuse their grain offerings with salt. We also see this, and this was something that was relatively new to me. Uh, God actually made a covenant with David, a covenant of salt. So David was king of Israel, and the promise, the covenant he made with David said, uh, I'm going to make your lineage, your heirs, king forever. And he said, this is a covenant of salt. And what that means is this, that this covenant is preserved over time. That God is not just making a deal with him that's going to decay at some point, it's going to fall away, it's going to pass away. He says, no, this is a promise, this is a covenant that will last for eternity. It's a covenant of salt. And what we see is this has come true. Jesus is king, he is Lord of all, and he is in the lineage of David. And this, this salt covenant that God made with David is coming to pass. So we see salt used over and over and over and over in different ways in Scripture. So, so when Jesus says you are the salt of the earth, what he really means is you are a valuable gift to the earth. 
I guess nobody believed me when I said that. Like, he's not talking about me, he's talking about somebody else. No, you are a gift from God to planet Earth. You're a valuable gift. See, we think of salt as table salt. I mean, it's no big deal, it doesn't have a lot of value. But I want you to think, to the, to the Roman soldiers who were paid in salt, if they heard they weren't getting a paycheck, if you heard you weren't getting a paycheck this week, that would impact your life, right? <laughs> because that paycheck has some value. So I want you to understand, you are, you are a paycheck from God to planet Earth. The Earth can't get by without you because you are valuable. You are a gift. God, God has given you to planet Earth because you're valuable. He's given you to planet Earth because you're worth something. He's got a, a plan and a purpose for you that no one else can fulfill, that only you can find your purpose from God. So you are a gift. He wants you to know, because you're the salt of the earth, that, that each believer, that you are in covenant with God, he's in salt covenant with you. So he's committed to you. Like we said earlier, he's faithful. Not until things get hard, not until it gets difficult, not as long as you're nice. He's in covenant with you forever because salt is preserved. So he says, you are the salt of the earth. The final reason I believe he says you're the salt of the earth is because salt prevents decay. And I think what he's saying is, I'm sending you into planet earth, onto planet earth, to prevent the decay of planet earth, to push back darkness, to push back death. And if we're going to be honest, can't we look around the world we live in today and we see a lot of decay, we see a lot of death, we see a lot of darkness, don't we? And we as believers are called not just to endure that, not just to breathe in and out until we escape our earth and make it to heaven, but we're called to push back on the decay. We're called to do something about the advancing death of this planet, of the people of this world. Um, in the same way that you would never eat a piece of rancid meat, what's happening is, this planet is dying. The, the people are dying. They're looking for answers. And we have the answers, but what happens so many times is we gripe about the decay rather than push it back. See, we can't push back on the decay or prevent the decay because we're too busy griping about it on social media. Can you believe? I, I can't understand why. And what God's asking us to do is not gripe about it, not observe it, but to engage it, push it back. So, so God wants us to be actively involved. He wants us to invade planet Earth, to carry out his purposes and mission for us. So one of the things he says is, you are the salt of the Earth. Then he goes on to say, salt that's lost its flavor is not good for anything, right? And, and this phrase has lost its taste or loses its savor, as some other interpretations say. The, the word that's used for that is moreno. And moreno literally means um, loses its flavor, salt. Like I said earlier, if, if I've, got this, I've got this specialty salt that I bought, and I'll put it on different dishes, and uh, I love the flavor of it. It's got, uh, it's got chili flakes in it and some different stuff, and so it's not just salt. And so I'll put it on something, I will taste it, and it's got a strong flavor to it. I mean, it, it has a little bit of kick to it. And I'm telling you today, as the salt of the world, we should have a little kick to us. We should have a little flavor to us. Because when that flavor disappears, what good is it? Because if there was ever a day I was putting it on a dish and I was like, like, no, that doesn't, 
Oh, it's lost its flavor. I'm not going to keep pouring more salt on. What good is that going to be? So what am I going to do? I'm going to throw it out because it has no value anymore. Because if it doesn't have flavor, it has no value. So we think about this passage in that way. Uh, I want to I reframe this a little bit. How many of you know that words can have multiple meanings? So in the context we live in today, in the English language, it can be very confusing for people that are learning English because one word can have multiple different meanings. And even if you're not learning the English language, it can be hard sometimes because maybe you're old. So when I was a teenager, I would use a word and I would say, dad, those shoes are bad. And he'd say, well, don't get them. And I'd say, no, dad, they're bad. And he'd, okay, don't get them. And I go, no, I need them because they're bad. And he was like, oh, bad means good. And I go, dad, you're so old. I can't believe you don't know that. Now my girls, they'll say, oh, that's sick. I'd say, well, don't touch it. Don't go near it. <laughs> no, dad, that's sick. And I said, I heard you. I don't want you getting sick. I'm like, dad, it means good. You're so old. <laughs> I had this moment where I realized I am my father. <laughs> Why? Because words have multiple meanings. My youngest daughter, Emma, I had this conversation with her the other day. Um, my, Emma literally can't use the word literally in a conversation correctly because she literally uses it wrong when she uses it. So we were talking and she was like, I literally, and described something. And I was like, that word does not mean what I think it means, what, what you think it means. It was like the old, uh, old princess bride line. I, I do not think that word means what you think it means. And she said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, when you say literal, you mean figurative. So it means the opposite of what you say it means, but you still use it in that context. So you literally don't know how to use that word. And she's like, dad. <laughs> so this is the deal. She's hijacked the word, and not just her, this generation has hijacked the word literally to use it in literally any context they want uh, for whatever purpose they want. So they have hijacked the original meaning to apply it to a new meaning. And what we see in scripture is the word moreno was hijacked from its original meaning and applied to salt. So let me explain this to you. Um, it was taken from its original context and used in a different context and it was given a different meaning. Let me, let me read, this word moreno is used four times in the New Testament. Three times it's talking about salt, one time it's talking about something else. Let me read you the, the scripture where moreno is used, and I just want to help you understand it a little better. This is Romans chapter 1, verse 21 through 23. This is Paul writing to the Roman church. He says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So what Paul's describing is a group of people that claim to be believers, but they don't act like believers. They say they know God, but they don't honor him as God or they don't thank him. And as a result, they became foolish in their mind and they began worshiping false gods. So they stopped carrying the glory of God in their lives and they decided they like uh, images that were created more. So they become idolatrous. They, they worship creation rather than creator. So this is what Paul's describing. Now, right in the middle of this passage, it says they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And the word fools here is moreno. In fact, moreno is a derivative of another Greek word, moros. And this is where we get the word moron in the English language. It's true. So when Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, 
Salt that's lost its saltiness or salt its flavor is not good for anything except being thrown out. What he says is, you're the salt of the earth unless you get stupid. (laughs) Unless you become a moron. Literally, the literal translation is brainless. I'm not saying this stuff about you. Jesus is, okay? I'm just, (laughs) I want you to know. I would never say that, but Jesus, he's mean sometimes. This is what this passage says in Romans. They claim to know God, right? I know God. So what does this mean? They probably came to church. They probably knew the right things to say and the right things to do and when to raise their hands and when to, how are you? I'm good, brother. Oh, and they might have even gone through growth track, (laughs) right? But it says they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise. They became fools. They became morons, literally, is what it's saying. And they exchanged the glory of God for the, of the immortal God for the mortal, for the temporal. So they, they, they had an opportunity to be in a relationship, to carry the glory and the weight of the glory of the immortal God. And instead, they traded that for what was created, for stuff that they saw and knew and liked. And I want to be careful how I say this, but I want you to catch this. This is what happens to churches across America. Because at some point what happens is um, we go from being people who love God, we are salty, we're chasing after him, he's the primary focus in our lives, and then what happens is um, somewhere along the way we stop honoring him, we stop thanking him, and, and then our hearts are darkened, and then we become stupid. And we start focusing on things that don't really matter. We start focusing on things that are man-made instead of things that are eternal. And churches start focusing on things like, well, uh, the pastor didn't say hi to me in the lobby today. I think he's mad at me. Let's just go find another church. <laughs> Some of you giggle as if that doesn't happen. That happens. Um, They didn't sing the song I like today. They didn't sing it the right way. I can't believe that. That music is too loud. That music's too quiet. It's too hot. It's too cold. By the way, it's never going to be too hot in here unless you are going through menopause, okay? (laughs) It is going to stay cold in here all the time. So bring your blanket with you. It's okay. (laughs) The lights are too bright. It's too dark. We can't see. These are all the things that get people sidetracked. Are those things important? Yes, they're important. They're not trivial, but what happens is our hearts are darkened and our, we become foolish. We start focusing on things that we want, our preferences, rather than things that matter to God. Because do you know what matters to God? Lost people. Do you know what God doesn't care about? How loud or quiet the music is. That's all secondary to him. But what happens is we get focused on that stuff and we get sidetracked on that stuff and we get upset about that stuff. And what happens is... We get stupid, and I can do it too. It's not you, it's us, it's me. So we can focus on the wrong things, and as a result, we lose our saltiness. Do you know what happens when we lose our saltiness? When we become foolish, we're not good for anything but destruction. We don't build up, we don't bring life, we don't preserve, we destroy. Remember, what do you do with salt that's lost its flavor? You throw it on the field, you destroy the field. And this is what happens. We, we come to church, we lose our saltiness. We keep coming to church because that's what you're supposed to do. 
and then we start getting upset about stuff. Well, can you believe they? Can you believe they're starting a Blairsville location? I can't believe that. Why do we need to do that? We don't need any more churches in Blairsville. Yes, we do. You've never been to Blairsville before, apparently. So what happens? You start griping, you start complaining, you lost your saltiness. You're not evil. We lose our saltiness. And then we start spreading destruction instead of life. Instead of pushing back decay, we're welcoming it. And that happens because we lose our saltiness. It happens because we get foolish. And I'm not pointing fingers at you. I'm telling you, all of us can do this if we're not careful. So the question becomes, how do we stay salty? How do we keep from losing our flavor and losing our strength? I've got an answer for you. Look back at Romans 121. This is what Paul says. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So this is what they stopped doing, right? They stopped honoring God. They stopped giving thanks to him. I'm telling you, one of the most important things we can do in our lives to make sure we keep God first is to honor him in all things. Is to say, God, I acknowledge today that I don't, I'm not in the position I'm in. I don't have the house I have, the wife I have, the job I've got, the church. I don't have any of this because I'm good enough or talented or good looking or any of those kind of things. I acknowledge none of that is because of me. It is all 100% because of you. Because if I take any credit for it, then I'm sharing the honor with God. Well, I go, well, I mean, God did help me, but <laughs> I mean, I'm pr- I am pretty handsome. I mean, come on. He's got a lot to work with here, so, right? But that's what we do. So what do we do? We share the glory with God. We share the honor with God. And before we know it, we're drifting to a place where we become fools. One of the things I started doing a couple years ago, and I didn't even do it voluntarily, uh, it just started happening. Um, I I just started... uh, I would just start saying out of nowhere, just thank you, Jesus. Sometimes at really random times. And it's like when I think about it, it's almost like Christian Tourette's a little bit. Like, thank you, Jesus. And I'm like, what is going on? Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. It's not, it's not like that exactly. But, um, but like I would leave a lunch appointment where I had lunch with somebody, you know, a friend or somebody from our church or whatever it is, and I'd walk away and I'd just go, Thank you, Jesus. And it was almost involuntary, like it would just come out of me. And it was just this, this, this realization that, man, God, I've got this relationship because of you. Man, thank you, God, for this person in my life. Sometimes I'd hang up a phone from a phone call, and I'd say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for that person. Thank you for that conversation. Thank you for the, their position in my life. Um, I, 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 I don't deserve it. I'm not good enough to have them as my friend, but thank you, God, for depositing them in my life. And it's amazing what happens when we begin to acknowledge that, that everything we have is God's, everything in my life is because of him. It makes it so much easier for me to honor him in the way that he deserves to be honored and to thank him repeatedly. Because some of us thank God you know, three times a day for our meals. And that's it. That's great. It's wonderful that you thank God for your meals. But you know what? God gave us a lot more than our food on our plate. Um, so he deserves so much more thanks than that. And so for me, something shifted in my own heart when I just began doing that, subtly just saying, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Um, and so I want to encourage you, prioritize honoring God, prioritize thanking him, and this will help you maintain your saltiness. It will help you keep from becoming foolish. 
and keep from becoming a moron. Um, some of you are going to go home and the only thing you're going to remember is that Jesus called you a moron today at church. <laughs> he did not call you a moron, by the way. So what do we do? We honor God. We thank him for what he's done. Colossians chapter 4. There's a bunch of verses that deal with salt in Scripture, and I'm not going to read them all, but there's one I felt like was really appropriate for today. Colossians 4, 5, and 6 is this. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. It's talking about people outside the church, unbelievers. Making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I love this. Because Jesus, I mean, because Paul understands what's important to Jesus. So he's telling the Colossian church, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. So what he's saying is, the heart of God is for lost people. So when you approach lost people, approach them in a way that's healthy, so we can leverage the time we've got left. Because Jesus loves lost people. So he's saying, be strategic about how we approach lost people. See, there's this, this feeling in a lot of churches that our church is the church. I mean, yeah, God loves other churches, but he loves our church the most. So we're going to sit in the good section of heaven, and then all the other churches will, you know, they're going to have like an obstructed view, you know, like they're leaning around a pole to try to see what's going on. Like that's what we think of, but, but that's not the case. Uh, God loves the church, his bride, but he loves lost people desperately. And so when we don't love what Jesus loves, I don't think it's, I think it's impossible for us to say we love Jesus if we don't love what he loves. So if we say we love Jesus, but we don't love lost people, there's something wrong with your theology. So what we see here is, is Paul tells the church, hey, you got to be wise about how you approach lost people, unbelievers. you got to be wise about how you approach people that are outsiders. Because he, he says your, your language should be seasoned with salt. So what does that mean? Let's go back to what it said at the beginning. What did we talk about? Well, salt is a preservative. It, it prevents decay. Salt is valuable. Salt is, is precious at times. It's used for exchange. So what I see this meaning is when we come into contact with people that are not believers, it is our responsibility to bring value to this conversation, to add value to their life. I, I grew up in a tradition where we would have conversations with unbelievers, but our conversation would go like this. Did you know you're an unbeliever? You know where you're going if you die? You're going to hell. You should really, really give your life to Jesus. It wasn't exactly like that, but the tone was kind of the same. And what we're doing, are we speaking truth? Well, technically, yeah, we are speaking truth. Are we speaking in love? No, we're not speaking truth in love. As a result, we're not adding value to their lives. We're not, we're not preventing decay in their lives, because if we're going to be honest, like I said earlier, lost people around us, they see the decay. They know that things are going bad. They can see the world falling apart at the seams. They see it. They don't need believers telling them how bad the world is. What they need is telling them that there's an option, there's hope, that it doesn't have to look like this. They need believers who will speak life and encouragement into them. But so many times, we don't do that. So many times, we're focused on um, what we've got to do, what we need to take care of, that we don't even see the opportunities that God's giving us around us. We don't even see that there's opportunities to speak life into someone. But you have a choice. You can speak life or death into the people around you. Did you know that? So last week, I went to Dallas. I was down in Dallas on uh, 
Thursday and Friday for a conference, and um, Gerald Brooks was here back in August, and he preached, and he invited me to come down, so I went down to their conference and had a great time. Dropped my rental car off on Friday night, um, and when I got out, um, the, the guy's approaching me to, to get the car, and uh, I said, man, how are you doing today? And I have a habit of, and it's not because I'm the pastor, but I have a habit of uh, engaging people at grocery stores or you know, sheets or the waiter or waitress that I come into contact with, I'm going to have a conversation with them. And I'm going to say, how's your day going? And typically the answer is something like, I'm at work. It's like, wow, what a blessing that is, right? Like you just got the spirit of encouragement. Yes. Love it. And I want to say, you're griping about your job. There are people that I know that wish they had a job, Right? You're griping about how bad your kids are. There are people that wish they had kids. You're griping about your house, right? This could go on and on. And so it's like, wait a second. And so I want to encourage them. And well, what's going on with your day? Well, it's just been a bad day. And oh man, I'm sorry, man. I hope your day gets better. I'm gonna, I'll be praying for you today. And it's something that simple. And so I try to do that. But man, this is what happened. I get out of the car. This guy's coming my way. I said, "How's your day going?" And he said, you would not believe how good my day is. Man, my day's incredible. The weather's beautiful. I got a job. And I mean, he's going down this list of how good his day is. And like my jaw opens, like what in the world? Like, that's a little much, buddy. Come on now. (laughs) And he tells me all this. And I just stopped him and I said, thank you so much. Thank you for having the attitude you've got. Because you know what? This guy works outdoors in Dallas, Texas. So about six months out of the year, like he melts before he gets, you know, before 8 a.m., he's melted on the sidewalk, right? It's a million degrees, but he's, and he comes to me and he's excited, he's enthusiastic. And I said, thank you for having that kind of attitude. I said, that makes all the difference. And he said, well, here's the thing. Would my bad attitude help anybody? No, it would not. And he said, so I just might as well have a good attitude. So we engaged and we talked a little bit and I thought, man, God, thank you so much for this guy, that this guy is bringing life to people. I don't know if he's a believer or not. I don't know if he goes to church and made Jesus Lord of his life, but what I know is he's bringing life to people. He's encouraging people. He's blessing people. And we have the opportunity to do that every day of our lives. We have the opportunity to, to, to sprinkle salt into our conversations with people, to speak life into them, to encourage them, to help their day go one way instead of the other. But yet we don't so many times because we're busy, because we're having a bad day ourselves, because we just don't see the need in there. And I'm telling you today, Paul tells the church, sprinkle your conversation with salt. Make sure you add value. Make sure you bring life to dead situations. So let me get back to Matthew. So we talked about Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. And this is actually, when we say salt of the earth, that's a common phrase. What we're saying is, this is, man, it's a good guy. If you ever heard somebody say, oh, they're real salt of the earth. What they're saying is, great guy, great woman, salt of the earth. So we're adding value to the earth. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Salt that's lost its flavor, thrown onto the field, destroys. He comes to verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. I love this, because what it's saying is you're to be salt and light. Light, I love, because light can be seen a long ways off. If you've ever not had power in your house, you know how valuable light is, right? Right? You need it. It's important. 
It brings life to the room. It brings life to an area. When I was flying back on Friday night, um, flying in the middle of the night, and I could look out the window, and I could identify cities, and I could, you know, I was looking at the map, trying to figure out where we were, and I would go, oh, that's Louisville, Kentucky down there. And you, you know, you could tell it's a metropolitan area by all the lights in the area, and it was like, oh, and then you'd see one little light off in the distance, and oh, okay, the farmhouse, whatever it is, but it's just interesting to me to see this. We're at 40,000 feet, but I can still see the light down there. Uh, I read an article just this last week that there was a, a star discovered by NASA with the Hubble Space Telescope. It was, it's called Icarus. And Icarus is the furthest star ever detected by NASA. Now they've detected galaxies further away, but they've never detected a single star further away. It's nine billion light years away. So I, I wanna help you understand how far that is. If after church today, you walk out to your car and you get in your car and you tell your wife, you say, honey, we wanna go see Icarus, let's go. And you drove your car, if you could, you drove your car into space and you flew from here to Icarus at the speed of light, it would take you nine billion years to get there. You probably shouldn't do that, by the way. Nine billion years. By the time you get there, it might already be extinct because the light we're seeing now is nine billion years old. Nine billion years, and we see the single point of light in the, in the galaxy, in the universe. This is what I'm telling you today. Light can bring influence at a distance. You can see light a long way off. There are people that are influenced by your life that you will never talk to, but they see you from a distance. They're influenced by you at a distance. You can make a difference in someone's life without ever even having a conversation with them if your heart is right, and if your light is shining. And what God tells us, what we see here, Jesus says to us, is you are the salt and you are light. I love light because of what it does and how it illuminates. And we talk about light, Christmas times, all the different things. And that's not where I want to spend most of our time, but I want you to understand you are light in a dark world. And this is the good thing. The darker a room is, the more a little bit of light makes a big difference. The darker the environment is, the more a little bit of light makes a big difference. And you might feel like, I don't have a big light, I don't have a platform like Mel, I'm not on social media, I can't do all the stuff, I'm not a boss, I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm just whatever your role is, whoever you are. And I'm telling you today, you might have a little bit of light, but the good news is the world we live in is dark. And your light has power to illuminate. You have influence beyond what you recognize. So light, love it because it can influence from a long way away. That's the difference between light and salt. I've never ever once thought, man, this needs salt. And I just put it on the table. Like, perfect, now we're ready, right? That doesn't do any good. It doesn't change the flavor of the food I'm eating. It doesn't influence in any way. Nobody ever said, I wanna stop the decay in this piece of meat, so um, I'm gonna put some salt in the shed. No, you put the salt on the meat, right? Salt doesn't make a difference if it's nearby. Salt only makes the difference if it's applied. And what I'm telling you today is, some of you want to be light, but you don't want to be salt. You don't mind influencing from a distance off and you look good and you can do your thing, but you don't want to get involved. You don't want to be hands-on. You don't want to be applied because if you do, that's going to cost you something. It's going to hurt. It's going to be difficult. Now I'm involved. Now it's intimate. I'm telling you today, God is not giving us an option. Jesus didn't say, hey, you can be salt or light, whatever, whatever you want to do, whatever is easiest for you. He says, you are salt. 
and you are light. You are supposed to influence from a distance, but you're supposed to be hands-on. You're supposed to be up close and personal in this thing as well. It's not an either or, it's an and both. Salt has to be applied in order to influence change. So salt has to go. Salt has to be applied. Salt has to be where the need is. And this brings us back to where we're at today. I feel like God has, has told me we are good at gathering, but we're not as good at sending. And I think we're better than a lot of churches at sending, but a lot of churches aren't our standard. So I feel like God is saying we gather, but we don't just gather, we send as well. Um, and I want you to know something. Gathering is important throughout Scripture. Gathering together as a body and worshiping together is a really important thing. Uh, in fact, we even see that numbers are an important thing. If numbers weren't important, they wouldn't have counted how many people got saved on the day of Pentecost. Somebody in the midst of all that said, hey, hey, get a head count. Let's figure out how many people showed up for this thing, right? So numbers are important to God. That's not our primary focus, but we gather together, we worship together. But if this is all it is, then that is not enough. So God wants us to gather, but God wants us to go out as well. God wants us to be sent to wherever it is we need to go. In fact, in John chapter 17, from the, the priest, high priestly prayer of Jesus, so this is after, his, uh, after the Last Supper and before his crucifixion, he prays this prayer. And in verse 8, I'm sorry, 18, he says, he's praying to God and he says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And we love this because we think about this and we think Jesus was sent in authority and power and might. He's a son of God. So yeah, God, send me in that way. But, but think about it this way. This is how Jesus was sent into the world. He was sent into the world in pain because he was betrayed by his friends closest to him. In fact, one sold him out. The other denied him. And the rest of the disciples, didn't even, they weren't even around when he was crucified. They left at his worst possible moment. It was painful for him. He, he was sent in tragedy. We talk a lot about injustice in the world we live in today. Jesus was the ultimate victim of injustice because he didn't deserve anything that happened to him. So understand that if you are sent, you're going to be sent in pain. You're going to be sent in tragedy. There are things that are going to happen to you that are not just. But that's how he was sent. He was sent and he was uncomfortable. He left his home. I like my house. I like being comfortable. But, but Jesus left the comforts of heaven to come to planet earth. And he came to planet earth, a different culture. He came as an outsider to experience a culture that he didn't know and wasn't experienced with. And it was isolating. He was sent in isolation because he was rejected by his own people. He was a Jewish man. And the Jews said, you're not our Messiah. And he was sent as a sacrifice. He literally laid down his life for us. He paid the price for us. The word sent here, it's apostello, and apostello means to order one to go to a place appointed. So Jesus said, Father, in the same way that you ordered me to go to a place appointed, I'm ordering them to go to a place appointed. I'm ordering them to, to go to where I'm directing them to go. Because every one of us have a next. Every one of us have an order. Every one of us have been ordered to go and appointed. Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. We talked about this verse a little bit last week. 
Jesus says, you're going to receive power, the ability to do what I'm asking you to do when the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So what he's saying is, you'll be my witnesses in Indiana and in western Pennsylvania and the United States and through the whole earth is what he's saying in our context. But this word witness here, it's interesting. It has three senses to this word. The first sense is a legal sense, and it's the sense of if you witnessed a crime or if you witnessed a traffic accident and you were asked to testify, what did you see? That's the legal sense. Um, there's historic sense, and the historic sense is if you, uh, if you went to and you got to watch the Steelers win the Super Bowl, um, that would be a historic event for you. And you would be able to say, I witnessed that event. I saw that happen. That's a historic witness. And then there's an ethical witness. And the word witness here, um, the, the Greek word for it is uh, martus. And this is where we get the word martyr from this word martus. And so the ethical sense is that I will be a witness by laying down my life. By sacrificing my life by being a martyr, by following Christ and his sacrifice, I will be a witness. And so in a very real sense, when Jesus says, or when we see in Acts 1.8, and you'll be my witnesses, this is what Jesus says in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the most parts of the earth, what he's saying is, and you will lay down your life. You're going to be a martyr in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. You're going you're to die for my glory, for my cause, for my kingdom, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And I know this is a weighty message. This is what God is calling us to do. Now, the good news for you is, I don't think God is calling us all to be martyrs. But for some of us, what he's calling us to do is worse than being a martyr. Because for some of us, what he's asking us to do is let some other things die. Maybe he is calling some of you into missions work. Maybe he's asking somebody in this room to move to China or to move to Africa or to move to Asia and if he does, then he's asking something to die in your life. He's asking you to quit a job, to take your family, to, to move around the world. And he's asking you to do that because, and he can't ask you to do that because he's already done that. He's left his culture. He's left his comfort. He's left everything he knew. He, he was martyred. He gave everything up for you. So he can ask us to do that. So maybe God's calling you around the world. I actually had somebody after our last service came to me, teary-eyed, and, and she said to me, I've been dealing with this for a while, and I know God's calling me to Africa. And she said, and you just keep hammering on this. She said, I knew today that this is what God's calling me to do. So we started talking about, well, here's the plan. Why don't we do this? Why don't we try this? And we're going to help her get to Africa if that's what God's calling her to do. But I'm telling you today, there's somebody in this room, God might be calling you to Africa, but maybe he's not. Maybe God's calling you to your work. Because some of you have a job that you hate, and every day you grab about your job. I hate this job. I only got this job because I didn't have any other options. Maybe not. Maybe God appointed that job to you. Maybe God sent you there to be salt and light in that workplace. And you've been resisting your call because you're miserable, but you have to understand, oh, God put me here for a reason, for a purpose. Maybe God puts you in that, that neighborhood for a reason. See, some of you would rather go halfway around the world rather than walk across the street and share your faith with your neighbor. Maybe that's what God's calling you to do today. Maybe that's what he's speaking to you about. Maybe that's your Jerusalem. 
And maybe it's going to cost you something. Maybe it's going to cost you your pride to walk across the street and say, hey, I need to tell you something. I need to talk to you about something. Hey, I've seen something in your life. Man, I just want to share with you what God's been doing in me. Maybe take them a pan of brownies and just say, man, can we get some coffee? I'd love to visit with you. Some of you, that's terrifying for you. But something's got to die so that you can be his witness. Because that's what he's inviting us into. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. This is from the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. This is the great commission. It's the same thing Jesus was saying, but it's told from Matthew's perspective. This is what he says. He says, Jesus is talking. He says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, listen to this, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this is what Jesus is saying to us. He says this. I'm asking you, let me back up. I'm telling you, I'm ordering you to go do things, to be sent out into areas that are going to be hard and challenging and painful and uncomfortable. I'm, I'm sending you to be my witness, my, my martyr, here and around the world, and it's going to be hard. And it's going to be difficult. And you're going to have to give up things you love. But this is my promise for you. You're never going to do it alone. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. In fact, I'm not just going to be with you on this journey. I'm with you till the end of age. When time stops ticking, I'm still going to be with you. Jesus' promise to us is you will not be doing this alone. You might be forsaken by friends, by family. People might say you're crazy. People might say you're an idiot. But guess what? I'm going to be with you this whole time. I'm going to hold your hand through the dark places. I'm going to carry you through the seasons you don't think you can walk through. I've got you. That's what he's inviting us into. It's not what he's asking from us. That's what he wants for us. So the question today is, um, where is he asking you to be salt and light? It's not if he's asking you to be salt and light. The question isn't if he's asking you to be a witness. It's where is he asking you to be a witness? And how will you fulfill that? What are you going to do from here? So the question isn't, are you called? The question is, where are you called? And what will you do about it? Maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Christ. You're here today and you've never really made him Lord. I want to give you that opportunity here in just a moment. And if you're here today and you're a believer, I want to encourage you in this. God is calling you. Period. Your job is to figure out, God, what are, where are you calling me? What does that look like for me? So open up your heart to that and let God speak to you. Let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, we love you. We're so grateful that you love us. We're grateful that you invite us into your purpose and plans. We're grateful that the same grace that we've experienced, you're asking us to carry that to others. The same glory that we get to carry of yours, God, you're asking us to give to others and help them experience that as well. So God, I pray right now that you would Help us focus on the things you love. Help us focus on the things you value. And I pray that you'd help us set ourselves aside. Help us not be focused on our own preferences, our own comfort, our own desires. But God, help our desires begin to look like your desires. So God, I pray right now that you would just minister in our hearts, God. Help us see you for who you really are. And help us to see our responsibility for what it really is as well. So God, I pray that none of us 
would be satisfied just getting to heaven safely, but from this day forward, help us to understand clearly that we are to be salt and light in this world, that we are to be involved in people's lives, that we're stop the decay around us, that we are supposed to influence up close and at a distance. God, help us to, to see that you're calling us to have your mind and your heart and not to be foolish about our lives. So God, have your way with us. And with nobody looking around, I just want to ask if you're here today and you say to me, Mel, I'm not a believer. I'm not walking with Christ, but I know I need to be and I want to surrender my life to him today. I'm not going to embarrass you or bring you forward. I just want to pray with you. So if that's you, would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high and say, Mel, pray for me. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life today. Yeah, thank you. I see you in the center section. Who else would say, pray for me, Mel. Today's my day. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I want to surrender it all to him. Yeah, thank you so much. Who else? Just a few more seconds. Okay. I'd like every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, to pray this prayer with me. Pray this out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me and thank you for paying the price for my sins by sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross. Thank you that he is alive and well and he's at your right hand. Thank you that I'm alive as well, that I can be salt and light to this world. Help me bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, Scripture tells us it's your new creation today. We want to help you take the next step in your faith journey. So if you prayed that prayer, take one minute and take the card out of the seat back in front of you and fill out the side of the card that says salvation. Let us know about that. You can take that to the information center and give it to them. They're going to give you a Bible to help you on your journey. We're going to get you connected with resources and groups that can help you grow in your faith as well. And if you're watching online and you prayed that prayer with us today, I just want you to know how proud we are of you and we want to help you take the next step as well. So no matter where you are, text us. Let us know. You can text the word salvation to the number 555-888. When you do that, we're going to respond back to you. We're going to help you find a church in your area that you can begin to connect with and grow in your faith. So here's what's going to happen right now. Uh, I'm going to pray a blessing over you as we are closing out. And while I'm praying this blessing for you, our, some of our staff and some of our prayer team is going to come up. They'll be right here at the front of this room. And when I say amen, um, they're going to be available for prayer. And if you're here and you've got a prayer need of any kind today, no matter what it may be, before you leave, come find one of them. And we're going to stick around as long as we need to, to pray with you and agree with you. Maybe you just want to sit in the room and pray a little bit. That's great. Stick around as long as you'd like. And when we're done, when you're dismissed, uh, don't forget, you can drop your tithe and offering in the offering boxes as you leave. And, and please just try to leave reverently so you don't disturb the people that are, are trying to pray. But let me just pray over you right now. God, I just pray a blessing on this congregation. God, I pray a blessing over every man, woman, and child in this room. I pray that you would help them be salt and light this week. God, I pray that you'd help them speak life into people. Lord, let them carry your light and your life everywhere they go. So God, I pray that they'd be a blessing in their workplace tomorrow. God, I pray that you'd be a, help them be a blessing in their office. Help the, the students be a blessing at their schools, at IUP, at the different classes. God, I pray that they would carry your life with them. And Lord, when they have a choice to speak life and death, let them speak life every single time. Let them encourage and bless. And I pray that that would be infectious. So God, let it be Begin with the one that's here, God, as they walk out of here, bless them to be a blessing. God, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for what you're going to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I love you guys more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a great day.